you won't be surprised to, to hear, gentlemen, because we are recording later, almost than we ever have. I think maybe one podcast in the past has been slightly later. Stephen, given what happened last week, is already on the beer. Is he steaming? Well, seeing as I was accused of drinking last week, I thought... Oh, my I, I've had a San Miguel as well, so if I'm slightly leery... Full disclosure. How many of you had, Steve? Is that your first? No, it's not your first. Never your first, first, is it? It is the first. It is really? my 13th. <laughs> it won't be my last chinch, but it is the first. Started at midday. Do we think that Steve has a problem? <laughs> Do we need an intervention? Do we have an intervention as we I have, I have many problems. I don't, we... I don't believe beer is one of them. But Should we tell him that we love him and that we, we just want to help? If the, I, if the next time I see you in person, there's an intervention banner hanging over the door. <laughs> be prepared. Um, this is, to be fair to Stephen, he has had two children at home for nearly six weeks now. So if, if he has not turned to substance abuse, he's doing very well. <laughs> I personally... Or he's doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. ...have got one child at home for six weeks and have gone through an entire multi-pack of Yoo-Hoo glue. <laughs> Is that like Pritt stick? Yeah, but the fumes, the fumes. Just, oh, are they? They help you build train sets. Let me tell you. <laughs> help you get through the day. <laughs> Any of us get Larry on alcohol, or are we all very, very kind of maudlin? Mm, I go a bit maudlin. I think we're lovers, not fighters, when it comes to. Oh, absolutely. To even, even without the booze. The fact that Chinch gets a bit maudlin with drink yeah. is the least surprising thing <laughs> in the world. He's not surprised by that. No, because you're quite a maudlin character anyway, aren't you? I think so, yeah. Yeah, if yeah. I was a Dickens character, I'd be maudlin. You would be maudlin. Yeah. That might be yeah. your name. You might I don't, be know, what, I don't called... know what job I'd have, but I would be, oh, here comes maudlin. That's what, you, how Dickens used to write it. You would run some sort of workshop for impoverished children. Like a workhouse. Oh, that's what I mean, not a workshop. Oh, a workshop. workshop? You're not like for carpentry. <laughs> you're building impoverished children. <laughs> Dickens missed a trick there, didn't he? I meant a workhouse. Yeah, it's not some sort of YTS scheme. You'd, you'd run a workhouse or some sort of bordello. Uh, I have a feeling there might be a future, a feature which is out of context Dickens. Oh, do you want me to write one? Where, Where I'm maudlin, I... the can... carpentry coach. <laughs> Hang on, no, 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 we've missed a trick here. Chin, if Chinch was a Dickens character, he would be a man who was running a horse and cart hire shop <laughs> from ah, his own house. Yes. At very attractive rates. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wyeth, sometimes free to air. Andy Hinchcliffe, rarely free to air. And Rory Smith, now completely behind a paywall um, as a result of his goodbye free newsletter, which happened last week. No, no, just the newsletter is complete, completely behind the paywall. Everything, all of my other output, you can still read for free up to five times a month, I think. Or you should subscribe to the New York Times. It's very good value. How big would is you... your paywall? How, would I be able to scale it? Or... No, not even with grappling. I wouldn't be able to scale it. It's not like the Telegraph paywall where if you, if you click X as the page is loading, you just get to read it for free. It's a proper paywall. <laughs> it's not been cobbled together by cowboy builders like the Telegraph paywall. It's a proper paywall. <laughs> that was a, that's the most useful thing that Rory has ever told me about. Did you, <laughs> did you not know that? No, no, I did. I did. You have, you've told me about that previously. All, all the time that we spent together, but I think that's the greatest thing I've learned from you. I'm so just, glad, just glad to have contributed. For new listeners and, and, and people newly to The Telegraph, what's the trick? So as the, you bring the page up, you click the link, and as it's loading, you click X, and it just shows you... Who, who told you to do that? Because you can't just have... Someone must clearly have told you. An it's, insider. Yeah. You met a, an insider in a dodgy bar, and he's given it, you, slipped you this information. He, he met Maudlin. Maudlin. I met Maudlin. Yeah. Yeah, uh, bought, bought a, rented a horse and cart off him um, <laughs> and had to give it back. Uh, fully insured. No, I think it's reasonably common knowledge that that is the way around the Telegraph paywall, but not sufficiently common, common knowledge for the Telegraph to have done anything about it. Uh, the food is, and this may or may not be related to the fact that now you have to pay to read a lot of what Rory writes, is a very slap up meal, the menu of which he sent around the group just earlier, would you like to explain why on earth you are at a restaurant where it costs pounds to have three course meals? Come on, don't don't tell people the prices. Um, I'll beep it out. So the Kate and I, Kate is very special to me, and I do not necessarily always have the time to show her how special she is to what me. What have you done? No, so, nothing. So twice. You, uh, what have you done? 
Oh, this is like a choose-your-own-adventure story. Yeah. Please let there be several versions of where this is going. Done anything. She was she was getting a bit maudlin. In, <laughs> well, maudlin should get out of your lives. In February, and it may have been, may, I can't, genuinely can't remember, I, it may have been related to Valentine's Day, I'm not sure. So I booked <laughs> us a night at the Angel at Hetton, which is quite close by to where we live, but is a Michelin-starred a restaurant Ooh. with rooms. So you and save on the petrol? Because Kate's married to me, we were booked in for the, I think the 1st of June. Uh, obviously, I went to Porto for the Champions League final, got pinned, had to cancel it. Um, that was popular. So after that's what I did wrong. <laughs> there you pinned. go. And we rearranged for, for Monday night this week and went and had an absolutely amazing meal and a, a nice night away from, from Ed and Hector. Missed them, obviously, but nice to have a break. Uh, I went for the mackerel to start, lightly cured mackerel, uh, Ossietra caviar. Jersey royal potatoes with almond milk. Wouldn't have any other type of royal potato. Sardine dressing and calamata olives. Uh, then, I, then I had the lamb, which was absolutely top-notch for the main. Cumbrian lamb loin. Love a loin. Red pepper. <laughs> Yorkshire black garlic. Pak choy. Braised shoulder. Doesn't specify what of. And in inverted commas, corn dog, uh, which was delicious. Don't know what it was. Uh, and then for pudding, het and meadow. Hetton Meadow sweet cheesecake, blackberries, miso caramel, miso caramel, as I said to Kate at the time. <laughs> there are times when that describes my body, miso caramel, and uh, miso caramel and shortbread. And then it says, sake, lees, creme. Don't know what, whether those, those words are related. Don't know if it's sake. Don't know what lees are. Uh, and not entirely sure what's been creamed. The most confusing line is something that Kate had. She had the pistachio for pudding. It's English cherries. Get that. Then it says, pistachio cake, puree and candied, frozen estate dairy milk with aerated white chocolate. This frozen estate dairy milk is not a dairy milk that's been put in the freezer, disappointingly. <laughs> um, but it, it doesn't, I don't know what puree and candied, both of which are adjectives, apply to. It wasn't a pureed pistachio cake. So I, I think it's like pureed pistachio candied pistachio and pistachio cake, pistachio three ways, if you will. But we were a bit confused and that ate up about 15 minutes of our meal time trying to work out what the f*** that meant. But it was delicious. It sounds like a... Did you wash it down with a nice pint of bitter? That would have been a good compliment to that meal, or did you go for something a bit more fancy? No, I had a rose lemonade. The football... That that will be the longest podcast sleeve notes oh, of all on. time, because I'm going to have to transcribe that entire meal. Uh, the football is... Chinch, do you know what we're talking about today? Are we talking about big names throwing their weight around? Yes, to mark the fact that some of you will no longer be aware of how much Rory workshops his newsletter ideas on this podcast, we are taking his final free offering as a basis for our conversation today and workshopping it further. Have some, although admittedly very few, players got to the stage where they both get to choose where they play and also are enough of a commodity to those clubs for whom they choose to play that their signing is value enough? regardless of their sporting contribution. We will call this episode When a Plate of Kit Kats Just Isn't Enough. Mm. Uh, that is uh, all to come. You can get in touch with the podcast, of course, via our email address, which is simplepeacemenu at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube as well. You can, of course, still enter the SPMPLPL, the deadline of which Best Man Billy has kindly offered to extend for another week, based not at all on giving you time to ruminate further on how you think the 20 Premier League teams will finish the season, but more on the fact there's an international break around our original deadline. So there is no material change taking place during that extra week, unless, of course, a title contender's entire squad contracts some sort of virulent disease sweeping the globe in a pandemic, which, of course, they won't. Uh, just head to tinyurl.com forward slash menu tinyurl.com slash menu and put your teams in the order you think they'll finish. Points are awarded based on your prediction's proximity to their final position. Uh, you now have until the end of Friday, the 11th of September. That's tinyurl.com forward slash menu. Remember we heard uh, from the current SPMPLPL champion, Jacob Davis, last week, uh, on whom we bestowed the possibility of Buffalo status, all the while acknowledging that our promises are very rarely kept. So Jacob has responded. Uh, with an attempt to win us over by offering the second half of the adage, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Dear Alex, Bradley, Corey and Charlie, uh, I think he's excited about the return of the morning show on Apple TV, uh, which I am. Those are four characters 
from that show. I greatly appreciated my email being read out last week, despite the poor duplicated attempt at an introductory hello, and was pleasantly surprised to hear that Buffalo status moved one step closer. I have thought of a way that it may reach a conclusion, but I need to work out where I'll get the time from. I've considered compiling a list of the quartet greetings of the further ado email section, detailing names, senders, pods, and noteworthy facts. However, just listening to pod 245, I realized that there were four greetings in three sections, this could take a while. If that carrot does indeed get dangled, I may need to revisit the back catalogue in some trimmed-down fashion with a spreadsheet open at all times. That is Jacob Davis, the reigning SPMPLPL champion and possible, possible Buffalo. Do we take uh, Jacob up on that offer? It sounds like a lot of paperwork. <laughs> if it's paperwork, just slip it into Chinch's uh, Chunch Motors in tray and uh, it'll get done then. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll deal with that, yeah. Uh, Jacob, you can sense the enthusiasm at uh, the efforts no, that it, you may well make. <laughs> it's a very kind offer, but we can't be sitting here like commanding people to go back through 200 and whatever it is episodes of this podcast to listen to, to off-the-cuff jokes. In a way, it's nice that people don't know what's been used already. Uh, yes, we, we have no problem with duplication whatsoever. Jacob, it's up to you. Let's be honest. If you do it, we'll say well done. We may make you a buffalo. Uh, last week's episode was on siege mentalities, and Gillian Rocheville has got in touch with an email called A Word on Siege Mentalities at Companies, and this is contemporaneous. Uh, Dear Seppi's Menu crew, she says, throwing Jacob a bone with no four greetings. In response to episode 245's discussion about siege mentality, I can think of at least one recent instance when a company developed a siege mentality. The company in question, Theranos, is a now defunct startup whose founder, Elizabeth Holmes, claimed that she had developed a technology that could run numerous diagnostic blood tests with just a finger prick's worth of blood. She got investors, including some former US senators and secretaries of state, on board and received rapturous coverage from the Silicon Valley press. But just as she was convincing US drugstore chain Wall Walgreens into buying her technology, Wall Street Journal reporter John Carreyrou soon began investigating the company and found that not only did Theranos' technology not work, but they were using blood testing machines from their competitors while lying to everyone that they were using their groundbreaking technology. As Carreyrou continued his reporting on the Theranos fraud, uh, alleged fraud, Holmes and her executive staff doubled down intimidating former employees and other critics to prevent them from telling the truth. At one point during the saga, Holmes was so incensed about negative press, she led her employees in a chant of F*** you, Carrie Roo, uh, aiming her eye at the man that she believed was trying to take her down. I say all this to say a siege mentality at a company is not entirely unheard of. Indeed, based on my experience in corporate America, it's a lot more common than many think. I should add here that Holmes has pleaded not guilty to all counts of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. She is awaiting trial. At Finally for now, from Mark Sullivan, who is in Maine, and his email is titled, Love the Pod, Not the Merch. Gents, the subject line says it all. Found you guys via Rory's NYT column. <laughs> Not anymore, unless you yeah, play. That, that pipeline's <laughs> now defunct, isn't it? And gain a lot of solid info and insight each episode. The recent flogging of the merch, bit unkind, uh, sent me to the site last week. That site... Uh, Mark, is tpublic.com. Much as I would support the pod, I wouldn't want any of that stuff, except maybe the Weathered by the Footballing Winds t-shirt, which I am wearing today, you'll note. Mm. Shall I display? Who came, excellent who came up with that? That's a very good phrase, movie. isn't it? Very good phrase. Very good phrase. Uh, the mm. rest of it, he says, doesn't appeal visually and slash or textually. All you have to do is invest more time none of you have into fresh new designs. Definitely love the pod, though. Uh, that's uh, from Mark Sullivan. Well, thanks, Mark. Two things have arisen as the result of your very to-the-point email. The first is that we have a completely organic way of plugging the merch, available at tpublic.com. Just search for SPM and Seppi's menu. The second is that on our next round of designs, we will definitely have one that says, love the pod, not the merch. Hang on, though. He's basically looked at the merch, of which there are, I don't know how many items, like... About 50, 25, 25? 25. And he likes one of them. That's... That's quite a good hit rate. Like I quite often go on your internet online shops and scroll idly through several thousand things and hate literally all of them. So I would say that one in 25 is a hit rate. Pretty good. Buy the T-shirt. I, I think Mark is a, Mark's a genius because what he's tapped into there is that he can send a negative email about the merch and assume that it'll get read out because it mentions the merch. 
Yeah, that's true, actually. It's true thinking. Yes, yeah, so that thinking on my part more than Mark's, but still, it's very important. In fact, there is a third thing as well related to the email. Last week, you might remember, I mentioned that every so often to keep the merch plugs fresh, I'd surprise one of the team with a chance to do a read, as they call it in the industry. So the first opportunity on this significant platform goes to... This is where uh, a 1980s quiz show would uh, take the Zoom windows and start moving them around randomly, and they would fall upon... Stephen! I'm incredibly grateful to the Newcastle United manager, Steve Bruce, for giving me this opportunity to suggest that you invest in a, for sake, you don't go to VAR t-shirt. Because I had a very interesting conversation with Steve Bruce after Newcastle United's two-all draw with Southampton in the Premier League at the <laughs> weekend just gone. <laughs> Southampton equalised with a 96th minute penalty, which had been awarded with the assistance of the video assistant referee Mike Dean after initial appeals by Southampton's players had been waved away by the on-field referee. In our conversation after the game, Steve Bruce complained bitterly about the fact that this penalty had been given by VAR, despite also acknowledging that the correct decision had been reached. So this is how deep the misunderstanding of VAR seems to go that even when you agree that the correct decision has been reached, there is still a belief that we shouldn't have gone to VAR. So all I can suggest is that to make sure that the message is as clear as it can possibly be to as many people as it can possibly be is to go out, go to tpublic.com and invest in your for sake you don't go to VAR t-shirt so Steve next time you do Newcastle are you going to wear that t-shirt when you interview him <laughs> I'm actually Say, almost... just just gesture with your pen at it before you ask <laughs> him a question I was wondering Should... if we could bar- we could either branch out in, either to tie pins or rosettes because you've got to go smart <laughs> rosettes I like that yes I a like cravat. that <laughs> would it not be easier just to send a t-shirt to Steve Bruce <laughs> would he he would probably wouldn't get it though would he he would get the t-shirt but he wouldn't get the inference. Uh, yeah, well, mm, maybe. Yeah, we have we have some press officers who listen to uh, this podcast. Um, I know of at least two. Um, is the Newcastle some? <laughs> is that some? Two isn't some, is it? When when do you breach the some threshold? It's um, like it's like I've told the story when I was told not to congregate at West Bromwich Albion, and I was there with one other person, <laughs> and I said, "Is it possible to congregate with two people?" And they it's said, an "Yes." <laughs> you're you're a group of people. I said no, we're a, a pair of people. Yeah, Two's pairs, not a, a group, is it? Yeah. But we we were told to disband because we, we were too too many. You were told yeah. to disband like a rebel army. Yes, put down the swords and go home. What what is the what is the number that to you is the lowest that several refers to? Several the word is four. Several. Several. Is yeah, four. I'd say four. And the a upper group- limit of several. It was, it's, it's beneath many. No more many. than seven. It's beneath many. I'd say higher than ten is many. But if, mm. se- if seven's your upper limit, then many needs to be eight. I'm What's the fewest s- number that can group together? Three. Three. So actually, yeah. I was under the threshold. You're massively under Grouping, the threshold. Grouping, congregating. How many people congregate? Two people can't congregate. Can, can a, group, a group can congregate, so therefore, mathematically, three. it means yeah. that three, three can congregate. So maybe they were confused. Maybe they've been and they saw three people when there were only two. I don't know. I'm not saying the West Bromwich Albion stewards. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. <laughs> Take that out. <laughs> what, what, what I'm more interested in is if uh, the Newcastle press officer can let Steve Bruce know uh, that he should listen to the pod at the very least um, and maybe... In addition, his private home address where we can send a T-shirt. Correspondence of any kind to setbeastmenu at gmail.com. Uh, now, for all the drama expected of a transfer deadline day, there was actually a very exciting hour or so last Friday. At around 1.30pm, the ungathered press were on Zoom for a press conference with Pep Guardiola. Some of us peppered Pep with questions about what appeared to be the semi-imminent arrival of Cristiano Ronaldo 
at Manchester City, a story with many layers, including the one where all the United fans voiced their fury at their former player for daring to move to City 12 years after leaving. Hmm, that still burns, does it? Fury that very soon afterwards, I imagine, was completely forgotten because just minutes after that press conference was done, the story had changed to Ronaldo returning to Manchester United and much celebrating amongst that same group of fans. Guardiola had offered the line that players like Ronaldo and indeed Lionel Messi are so vaunted they can choose where they play their football. A sensible answer because Ronaldo chose United. After, it should be noted, City desperately tried to get ahead of it all by saying that they thought about it but decided against the move. So are some players genuinely masters of their own destiny? And what does it say that even clubs as mighty as Real Madrid appear to be doing some sort of performative dance to show Kylian Mbappe they really do love him like they say they do? And then, of course... There's Harry Kane, the exception that might prove the rule. So, in a nod to Rory's final free newsletter, let's talk about the players who are so much of a big deal that it might be the deal itself that's enough. See, this is quite complicated because this summer has provided two very potent examples of players who are like fairly ostensibly too big for the game, in the sense that Lionel Messi is now worth so much money that Barcelona could no longer pay him and Ronaldo, who basically Juve couldn't afford to keep. They just they had to shift him in some way. The flip side of that is that if you if you look across Europe, there's actually quite a lot of players who haven't been able to go where they wanted. Kane's the leading example. But so is Messi. Does Messi wanted to stay? So I think we maybe have to, in a way that wasn't uh, acknowledged in that newsletter, we maybe have to accept that there are economic trends and waves that, that carry these players before them. But I do think in the case of Messi and Ronaldo, they are now effectively too big for football. They, in a, they are bigger than football. But Guardiola's wrong because I think they can't dictate where they want to play. There are only a handful of clubs who can even dream of employing them. And that number of that handful is getting smaller and smaller, unless, of course, they were to volunteer to play for free, which I think is unlikely to happen. But the question I have outside of that finan- financial context, which is very much of the now... Is the size of Ronaldo and Messi being bigger than football of the now? Or is it a principle that can be followed for those outside of those two examples in the future, for example? In in what sense? Kylian Mbappe is a player who Real Madrid, who, and as you mentioned in your newsletter, he is a player that Real Madrid, Real Madrid, the Royal Madrid, mm. are essentially courting, but in a False dance. What's that? Uh, what's that? Shadow dance. A proxy. No, whatever it is. He is. I've not even had the beer. Uh, he is being. He is being convinced by Real Madrid that they love him enough so that when he can move for free, he chooses them. This is Real Madrid, who surely, in almost every instance in the past, would have been. We're, we're Real Madrid. We can have who we want, not the player determining whether he deems them worthy of him because he has all the power. Well, look, but in, again, in that case, the problem is that PSG have the power because as far as it's been a little bit mixed and we are recording this on transfer deadline day because we're all really assiduous journalists. Um, <laughs> PSG, as far as we know, have, have rejected at least one offer of 160, 170 million euros for a player who will leave for free next summer. Real's thinking by all accounts is that they're worried that if they don't do it now, this is Real's logic, if they don't do it now, he might sign a short-term extension at PSG. It might be that he, he enjoys playing with Neymar and Messi and he decides in like November, actually, do you know what, I'll, I'll sign on for another couple of years. And then all of a sudden, there is no chance of getting him out of PSG. But there is also a little bit of a game, as you've said, being played by Real Madrid, which has two sides. One is, as you mentioned, to, to prove to Kylian Mbappe that we want you the most, that you can leave next summer for free, you will have lots of teams courting you, but we're the only ones who've put our money our money is money where, where our mouth is. We were we were prepared to pay for you. But but they don't but want couldn't. to pay for him now. It's well, that's, that's that, why it's that's what PSG have said and that is I think probably true. So PSG should accept the bid. Just well no, but, so this, but this, this is the proof that PSG what Real are also busy proving, possibly deliberately, my colleague Tarek Panja thinks it's deliberate, whether it is or not, I don't know, is that the normal financial laws don't apply to PSG. Just they, are, they are rejecting massive offers for a player who's out of contract. So if, you, if PSG can afford to turn their back on 160, 170, 180 million euros for Kylian Mbappe, then what chance does anybody else have? of being able to compete with them. And so even in the case of Mbappe, he might be able to choose, as Eduardo Camavinga has done, 
I will only sign for this club. That I think is is on the rise. But at the same time, the players are still completely beholden to a specific group of teams that cannot sell them. Oh, sorry, that are not beholden to basic economic law. And that would be PSG City, Chelsea to some extent, maybe Man United, but I'm not I'm actually not convinced it's true of Man United. And as Kane has suggested, it may even be that the big Premier League teams, for all that they've been hit by the the pandemic, aren't really susceptible to 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 transfer fees or bids for their players. Just Spurs had to take a loan from the government. They put they tried to try to furlough staff. They've got this massive stadium that's been empty. They've got a huge big gaping hole to be filled in their finances. Man City have kind of come along and at least offered them something to make them think about being able to fill it. And Spurs have said no and not been prepared to negotiate, which does rather suggest that is there a price at which Harry Kane can leave Spurs? No. So if those players don't actually have control, and Mbappe doesn't have control of when he wants to, of when he can go, because he wants to go this summer, but because PSG won't negotiate, despite the fact that it makes complete economic sense for them to negotiate, Mbappe has no control. Messi wanted to stay at Barcelona, but couldn't because of the economic currents that have swept him out of Barcelona. And Harry Kane wanted to go to Man City and has not been able to, just even Spurs, having been impacted by the pandemic, for some reason have decided they don't need the money. And that suggests that for all that it looks like the players have the power, for all that there are players who clubs can no longer afford to pay effectively, um, and that's another side of the Messi-Ronaldo thing. What happens to players like Coutinho or Neymar when they want to go um, or when they need to go? But ultimately, the clubs, it, there is a type of club that can effectively retain and transfer. That's basically, if PSG are not, if there's no, no price point at which PSG will negotiate, then Kylian Mbappe has basically no control at all. There are a couple of things at play here in terms of how clubs define the value of players. In terms of Harry Kane, do Spurs decide that the amount his value will reduce between this summer and next summer is worth them taking the hit on in terms of what his goals, his assists might enable them to achieve this season that they wouldn't manage without him? And likewise, do PSG decide that even though the sums being talked about are astronomical, the value of having Mbappe, Neymar and Messi at the same club for a season is greater than them accepting an offer in excess of £150 million for one of that trio. But the thing is, they're not the same thing, are they? So I tell no, they're, you, not, they're not the same you, thing. The, but... the context changes. So, so with, with Mbappe, no, because you're getting offered €160 million Euros now or nothing next summer. That's a big... There's no way... There's nothing that, that PSG can do to make up that shortfall. With Kane, about... with, with Kane, I think you're right. I think Kane, because he's got three years left on his contract, Spurs might be looking at that and thinking... We're getting the city lowballed them. City, how City played the Kane thing is interesting in itself. City wanted him for 100 million ish this summer. We bet that by next summer they'll they'll still want him for 100 million ish, maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less, but basically the same figure. And we'll have got an extra year service out of him. And I think you can see that point of you can see that logic from Spurs' point of view in a way that you can't for PSG. But that's why I said in terms of how the clubs define the value. You're yeah. absolutely right. In terms of the money changing hands, yes, there's no way that PSG get £150 million plus value out of having Messi, Neymar and Mbappe in the same team for a season. But they clearly will place great value upon that mm. because as they demonstrate in many other ways money is no object or certainly not an object in the way that most people define it. So therefore, they are making a decision saying we would rather have that now for 10 months than allow Mbappe to leave for a huge sum of money that would help balance our financial fair play situation. And the, the lesson there is that PSG don't care about their financial fair play situation. And I think that is what, what Real are trying to prove, that if you can say to UEFA, effectively, whenever the negotiations take place for what the, the future of FFP is, look, we've, we're in a situation where there is this club who does not need, who can sign Messi and then can afford to reject a €180 million Euro bid for a player who's out of contract next, next summer, that is very clearly not something that 
any other club can do apart from maybe Manchester City. No one else can make that economic decision because ultimately the money is secondary to, to PSG and that that has been proven quite powerfully by the Mbappe thing in a, in a way that I suspect works for Real Madrid as a secondary thing to the fact that they've also proved to Killian how much they love him and we were the only team that was prepared to pay for you so you should come and sign us in the summer, sign for us in the summer. The weirdness there is I don't think they need to do that to Mbappe. I think he wants to play for them. He's made his mind up. Are are we at some kind of unique point when you look at the financial power of certain clubs, a certain handful of clubs that have this enormous financial power and certain star players? It seems as though the clubs, the financial power of the clubs isn't going to change. Will the situation change as, or will there be a conveyor belt? Holland will be the next one. Will there always be, once Messi and Ronaldo eventually retire... Mbappe's got a, a while to go yet. Is there always going to be this supply of these superstar players to keep the to keep fueling this? Because the clubs are always going to have the money, aren't they? So again, is it then driven by well, the players have got to be available to to behave in the way that they're behaving? Is it the players that fuel this? So I, the funny thing is, and this is the thing that I think always gets lost in the summer. Is there's always more footballers. There's always more footballers. So your team misses out on some midfielder this summer. There'll be another midfielder next summer. Your team, so the caliber, so the uh, Messi, Ronaldo, and Mbappe. Uh, the, the, are we talking this kind of caliber? You, Holland is presumably the next on the conveyor be, belt, isn't he? Of the, superstars, the two look like Mbappe and, and Holland. But the problem is that I think we have with Messi and Ronaldo, and this is where it gets into kind of whether they're too big for the game. I don't remember what it was like, obviously, when in the transition between Pele, Cruyff, Maradona, and then Maradona to. I don't know who's the best player in the world in the, in the early nineties. Baggio, maybe George yeah. Weyer, and they then still, they, they still don't compare. And then Ronaldo, by and any then means. Ronaldinho, and then Kaká, yeah. and then Messi, Ronaldo. The difficulty is, I think that Messi and Ronaldo have been on top for so long and so bid for so long that it will always look like whatever comes la- afterwards is worse. So Mbappe and Hunt, you in a way, you don't want to be the guy that follows the guy. You want to be the guy that follows the guy that follows the guy. So whoever ask David put, Moyes. Yeah. Exactly. The yeah, but you don't want to be Louis Van Gaal <laughs> yeah. anyway. Or Jose the, Mourinho. <laughs> you might. Do you want to be Solskjaer? Do you want to be the guy who follows the guy who got yeah. The but you you kind of Mbappe and Holland are of that level probably. They or they could be of the, of that level, but they will not. They won't look like they're of that level. Does the what does what they're following yeah. has a been so spectacular and b been so long lasting? I don't know whether there was that sort of sense after Pele kind of waned in in what the mid 70s there was this sense of whether there's this sense of right well football's kind of bereft of its star or whether the players who came along in that Gert Muller maybe in that and Beckenbauer in in that immediate period afterwards whether it was a bit like well Pele's gone but Gert Muller's now the big the big star in world football I don't know I don't know how that worked I think that we will have it will feel like there's a lull after Messi and Ronaldo just because they have been so far ahead of everybody else for so long and they have been together and they've kind of defined this whole era of football but in a more on a more prosaic level, there will always be players that keep coming through, and I think that the, there's three things that will happen that this summer has illustrated. But the one that's relevant to this bit is that the basic reality of it is now that those players who come in Messi and Ronaldo's footsteps, who get to that level, can probably sign for one of five clubs, and that is it. Is this the the blight of? celebrities slow creep into football reaching something like a climax that you now have a situation in that the big clubs so using the Real Madrid Mbappe example are positioning themselves to make sure that those big names do end up playing for them regardless of the the sporting impact that they will have in relation to what it ends up costing them that in the same way that there are people that will go and watch a film at the cinema because it's got a certain actor in it in the same way that people went and watched Tom Cruise play a six foot five inch military policeman in the Reacher movies because of how much they love Tom Cruise is that what we're seeing now that Messi and Ronaldo have set that standard in terms of their status being even greater than the clubs that they play for, that the clubs are accepting that and almost setting up the next players to to fill those slots. And yeah. it doesn't really matter whether they put up the same numbers or achieve the same thing, as long as the perception is that the biggest names in the game 
are playing for that small carbon of clubs that Rory has just talked about. So, so ex- exactly as, as we mentioned, when, when Messi moved to PSG, that the claim from PSG was, regardless of this Mbappe situation, but that they could pay for what Messi costs them owing to the fact that they're going to bring in so much more money um, because of having him on the books, which is, I think, uh, the maths of it has been questioned, but the principle of it is worth discussing. If you then extrapolate that to Cristiano Ronaldo to Manchester United, because these are the two players we're talking about just at the moment in this context, can you can you say that it, it does not matter to PSG, certainly for, for them in a sporting context, whether Lionel Messi plays very well or scores 55 goals in the season or not? Slightly more important for Cristiano Ronaldo because Manchester United didn't and don't always. Well, I know PSG didn't win the league, but you understand the difference mm-hmm. between the two and what their what their aspirations might be, and that they have a little bit more of a leap to make at Old Trafford. But have they essentially already won because they have Cristiano Ronaldo? They don't need him to necessarily be that good because they think it's worth him signing for them because it's worth it to them. Yep, and that's absolutely right. It depends. I suppose it depends to an extent. What what does that good look like? So if, if Ronaldo scores 25 goals and Man United, Man United finish second, that's a pretty good transfer, isn't it? He's done, but it done makes, pretty but well it, there. But it makes but no it makes difference. Sod all difference. The, yeah. the, the thing to me... And where, where, where else could Ronaldo have gone? This is the thing. Well, he could have gone to City, who yeah. were, by all accounts, lukewarm on him. He could have gone to PSG, who didn't want him at all. And that was it. There's no one else can afford his wages. Mm-hmm. There's nobody else. There's nowhere so else. again, he, we're he, talking about all these great big stars having so much freedom of choice. They don't. They're being corralled. Are they being corralled into three or four or five clubs? They, yes, the, except that they could go elsewhere if they cut their wages, yeah. which is, that's a whole separate issue because that's not as simple as everybody thinks it is. It's Is anyone know, ever going to do that? Well, no, and that's the other thing. It's, it's not the kind of natural human thing. Why on earth, if you, if you were Cristiano Ronaldo, would you be like, well, all right, I'm worth... 500 grand a week, but I'm going to do this for 20 quid and some what's it's because I, you know, I just bloody love Sevilla. Like, it's, it's not. I think it'd be Quavers. He's more of a Quavers man. Because I bloody love what's it. (laughs) (laughs) He'd also have to really love what's it. But the, yeah, it's, he, that is what he's worth. Big stars might, to use the film analogy, might occasionally do an indie role because they love the script. For what you're worth and what you actually want to get paid. If he said, I'll, I'll, I'll pay, I'll, Paid a hundred. He probably could have gone to any number of clubs for say seventy-five week, yeah. to hundred. I know it's ludicrous money, but he still could have said, "I'm still getting very well paid doing the thing that I love." But I want to go and play for somebody else. Except that in football, money is not always about money. It's status. Aha. As as I, I suspect, it applied during your career, certainly to to teammates of yours, that it's it's one thing. Like Cristiano Ronaldo will not think I need to earn this money to to keep food on the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He will, and I think this is important. Have quite a lot of dependents. He will. He is an industry himself, and he will have to pay those people in the same way as it's really easy to decry players, particularly from South America or, or Eastern Europe or or Africa, for being greedy. Until you think that there's probably 40, 50, 60 people who basically depend on their earning ability to to continue in employment. At the very least, mm-hmm. you hear stories about Emmanuel Adebayor when he was at Man City, effectively having to support a town because that was what was expected of him. And that was what he felt his duty to, to mm-hmm. the people where he grew up was, that his success was their success. It's really hard to tell a player in that situation, look, just put your wages back by 50 grand a week. Does that mean that has direct impact? So yeah. The money is not going to them, not all of it. The problem is that if Ronaldo cut his wages, it would be an admission that he's not worth as much. So you're basically asking yeah, exactly. him to, to, to yeah. lower his self-esteem. And, and, and it's, yeah. not, it's not a steal for, you know, in the old kind of the fashion. Club that he signs for. Yeah, yeah, I've got Manchester yeah. United, have got a steal because they've got Cristiano Ronaldo for only 200 grand a week. That, that is not how it works. It's almost like, and, and Alexis Sanchez, when, when they signed him, perhaps the exception to this particular rule, but Manchester United signed Cristiano Ronaldo at the highest wage possible is both good, even though it doesn't, sound like it should be, is both good for the player and for the club to mm-hmm. suggest that A, that they can pay that amount for the best best players <laughs> in the world, but also status, because if they buy a diminished Cristiano Ronaldo in terms of his wage packet, they are buying a diminished yeah. asset and therefore he is less value to them, even though they're paying him way more than they would probably like to. And there's also the thing that we, I think we have mentioned previously that when you're talking about the likes of Messi and Ronaldo, and this will be the case going forward, that these exceptional players need to accumulate silverware to, it's not just about the wages, they need to be somewhere where they stand a chance of winning something. 
Otherwise, the ultimate. Otherwise, the, the <laughs> what? Didn't Still say anything. Revenge. Didn't say a word. Steve, uh, Steve reaches for his beer for an extra piece of it. <laughs> no, it's empty. <laughs> his, otherwise, glass, his little glass of eloquence. I wonder why he'd been so quiet. Otherwise, the ultimate <laughs> measure by which they are judged is devalued as well. Mm. And just to pick up on Rory mentioning about the, the big movie stars and the occasional indie project or maybe you know doing a Broadway show for a while, I wonder whether one or two footballers consider playing for their country to be the equivalent of the yeah, indie project. That that was a brilliant metaphor that went unfinished. So thank you for reminding me. It wasn't really brilliant. No, it, that's not really available to footballers. You you could you, you can you can imagine a world in which a player says, Do you know, what? I'm 30 now. I've earned all the money I need. I've I can go and earn good money, not as much money. But I you know I've always wanted to spend a year playing for Fiorentina, and then I want to go to Germany and experience you know, VFB Stuttgart or whatever. I want to go to South America. I want to play for Boca Juniors. But it involves an awful lot of upheaval for your family. It means, as Steve says, taking yourself away from winning trophies, which is what mm-hmm. what these players, Chinch will know this, that's what you're taught from a young Big age. Time. Big time. No, but you, you, that footballers are ultra competitive. Oh, yeah. They're, they're not, maybe not you. You see me playing tiddlywinks. You don't want to mess with me. <laughs> but they're not, they're not in it for the kind of life experience. They're in it to be the, the best that they can be. So the Hollywood movie star will do the indie flick, but they won't do it for fun. They'll do it because that means they might get the big period drama rather than the next kind of stupid comedy or whatever, and that might get them an award, which will mean that they earn more money in the future. That those, those moves are not done purely for romance. And it's players will will potentially join a club for the same purpose. They'll join... They'll, in fact, Kane is a great example of this. Is slightly off topic. Keeping Harry Kane, great triumph for Tottenham, makes it harder for them to sign players. Because why on earth, if you're a player who wants to play for one of the big clubs, the, the really big elite teams in Europe that are regularly contending to win the Champions League, why would you sign for Spurs? Because you're trapped. You're trapped at Spurs. So you're reliant on Spurs building a team that can compete for the Champions League, which is possible and has happened before, rather than seeing it as a as a stepping stone. So you say, right, I'm going to go to Spurs for two years and then they will be reasonable when Man City come and buy me, want to buy me, and they will sell me for £90 million because I'm that good. If I was a player in that position now, I would be inclined to say, actually, do you know what? Spurs is a bit of a risk. I may be better off going to Inter, who will, or whoever, who will sell me mm-hmm. when I'm ready for, for Real Madrid or ready for mm-hmm. PSG. And that, that is the, I think we, we will see as a result of this summer quite a lot of different trends within how players see their careers. And there's two that I think are really interesting. One is the Har- what we might as well call the, Hol- the Holland model, where he is available for £75 million pounds or euros next summer which is dirt cheap for Erling Haaland. And half of what they wanted this summer. And it will be dressed up as, there's a clause and and Dortmund are losing out. But Dortmund aren't losing out because they've had one of the two most exciting players of his generation for two and a half years. It may well be enough with a decent coach in charge now to win them a Bundesliga title. Might not be as a buy-in, but it should certainly get them a a quarter-final place in the Champions League or something. They then are covered by getting a massive return on their initial investment of 75 million euros, which enables them to go out and buy the next player like Erling Holland, because guess what? There's always more footballers. But they, but he is not trapped at Dortmund. There is no need for some sort of long-standing negotiation that's really fraught. He knows where he stands. His agents know where they stand, and that apparently is very important in that case. Dortmund get their money. They get the big sale, which they can then reinvest in the squad and do it all again. Same with Bellingham, same with Sancho, all that stuff. Leipzig have been brilliant at this over the last few years. It always looks like Leipzig sell quite cheap, but the reason there's a pipeline is because they sell quite cheap. They they set their buyout clauses at a point where Premier League clubs in particular are interested, where they come in and think, do you know what? We can afford Naby Keita. We'll pay 55 million quid for him. The other thing that I think is going to be really significant is for those players at that absolute elite level is that I think this is the start of an NFL-style free agency thing. And I just realised I've said NFL, which means Hughes going to talk. Oh, no. Steve has been drinking and eating in the period uh, of Rory's uh, words there to the extent that uh, he is now refuelled and has both ideas and vigour. So no, Steve, he's no, been I'm drinking actually... Budweiser and eating hot dogs. So <laughs> here we go, NFL. I'm quite, I'm quite grateful that Rory has mentioned NFL because that will spark Hugh into a monologue, which gives me time to go two floors downstairs to get another beer. 
And get back with plenty of time to spare, I would suggest. And it's really interesting. So PSG keeping their man and Spurs keeping their man, it, it looks as if these clubs, the, the, the fans from the outside look and say, great, it's great to see that actually clubs that have got these players can keep hold of them. They don't have to sell them. They're not being forced to sell them for vast amounts of money. It's just, it, again, two star players that have been in many ways not made to stay, but, but haven't been sold. But they're very different situations, even though from the outside to fans looking at it, they might think it's, again, a club keeping hold of the player that they've, they've got under contract. But it isn't quite as simple as that. Harry, think... Harry, Kane, Harry Kane is a big NFL fan and Harry Kane will tell you about the, the value of free agency because clearly he's in a position where he would have benefited from it. It was he who signed the long-term contract, so clearly he is complicit in his own uh, issues. But the, the one thing that, that Harry Kane and Ronaldo and to an extent Lionel Messi, but probably Lionel Messi last year rather than this year, are all capable of doing because they are such significant players but are not necessarily all particularly successful at is controlling not necessarily their destination but the narrative around a potential departure so cristiano ronaldo did it perfectly he he did it in exactly the way that you would try and engineer i I appreciate that juventus were perfectly happy for him to leave so it's it's difficult but if, if you were to just take the communications aspect of cristiano ronaldo's move to manchester united that is an expert delivery of a player's managing of his own narrative. Harry Kane, on the other hand, not so much. So what can Harry Kane learn from Cristiano Ronaldo to potentially do a different or have a different outcome next year? When he will, by the way, be, I think, 29 years old. So will there be any kind of interest in him like there, there was from Manchester City this year because of his profile and ability and age? Uh, it's difficult to say because it, the problem that he'll have next summer is that Haaland's on the market. And potentially, potentially Mbappe. Say, Real Madrid, say Mbappe has a change of heart and decides that he doesn't want to go to Real Madrid, then suddenly Mbappe's in play. And if you're Man City or Man United, you would surely be thinking, right, there are these three strikers on, on the transfer market. Which order do we want them in? And it would, Harry Kane, with all due respect to him, he's a brilliant striker, would not be first, just as of his age. So it may be that this, this was the window that Kane could go because City, City for, for absolute certain, you'd think, would be, would be all over Erling Haaland next summer PSG might confuse that by deciding that they quite fancy him as well um, but if again if I was Erling Haaland I'd, I'd maybe and they've been really clever Mino Raiola and, and Alfie Haaland to kind of plot his career out if I'm Haaland I'm not sure I'm going to PSG next summer because that, that blocks you off from another move does they keep you and, and and Florentino Perez apparently wants wants to have Haaland and, and Mbappe together. Yeah. And if he's got Mbappe already on the way, then it's more likely that Haaland will go. But then in, in this case, Haaland can make his own decision because if it's if he has a release clause that has been met, that's the perfect example of somewhere, uh, somebody who can decide where they want to go. And the example of how free agency works in the NFL, if you are at the end of your contract, you will have several. It ha- happened with Peyton Manning. 10 years ago or so when he went to the Denver Broncos. It happened with LeBron James. Rory, I think you mentioned it in the in the newsletter mm-hmm. about when he went to Miami from Cleveland the first time. And so you have this ability to do that sometimes if a release clause is met or you are out of contract. But Harry Kane is not that. Harry Kane has three years left of his contract. Harry Kane completely, the consensus opinion is, messed up the PR narrative of an attempt departure from Spurs. What? Why? What? what so what he could he have done differently, Hugh? Exactly. So what, what? 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 He was obviously desperate to leave so much so that he made these missteps. He was relying on Manchester City to bid more at the very least. I would imagine to at least get a negotiation going because would Daniel Levy have sold for 160 million? Probably. He well, he might. Levy might have been tempted to talk. That was the problem they had was that that Levy didn't see any reason to negotiate because City hadn't kind of forced him to raise an eyebrow. So surely Harry Kane should have enlisted Manchester City in his scheme. He, he needed a bit more support from City. There's, there's a weird current around that deal that, that I can't quite get, put my finger on, but it does seem as though City weren't that bothered. Someone at City very clearly really wanted Harry Kane. The hierarchy at City doesn't seem to have particularly acted upon that interest in the way that you'd expect, because City, as we know, money is no object for them. Um, what would Harry Kane have done differently? With all due respect to, to Charlie Kane, who's his agent and who does have, he, he's not kind of operating entirely on his own. There are people around him who have experience. Harry Kane maybe needed to enlist a weightier agent with other clients to engage Tottenham to say, look, there, there might be problems for you down the road if you don't let this happen. We've, we've got leverage as well. Um, he, maybe, he maybe had to, to be perfectly honest, 
come out and say it a bit more plainly that he wanted to go. He didn't actually, he kind of alluded to it. He allowed people to read between the lines, but he never actually came out and said, I don't want to play for Spurs anymore. He, he maybe needed to not go back to training. He needed to use whatever straps of leverage he had. Does the, the bulk of the leverage, as you've said, is with Spurs. He's Spurs' best player. He's the England captain. He's got a three-year contract. At some point, City have to go in and say, we recognise that we have no leverage here, so we are going to pay you what we think is the market rate for this player. And Harry Kane was let down by Man City there. But at the same time, Kane has to recognise that he had no leverage with Spurs. So the only way you can get leverage is by kicking up a fuss. And I think ultimately, it's probably to his credit, he didn't, I don't get the impression he wanted to do that. He wanted to leave on good terms. In that situation, there, there is no way of leaving on good terms. That will not happen. You have to accept that. And that's a, an unpalatable truth, but it is a truth, I think. I wonder whether there was another factor that uh, was unfortunate for Harry Kane in terms of there not being an obvious replacement for him that Spurs could have gone out and used some of that money on. That they, mm. they, you, they were never going to be able to replace Harry Kane directly or, or, or sign a player who was going to guarantee the volume of goals he does. But it's difficult to think of anyone out there who would have even scratched the surface for Tottenham of what he is able to contribute. And that was however much money that they might have been able to exact out of Manchester City. That was always going to be a problem because he not only left a Harry Kane size void, but they weren't ever going to get close to to filling it in in any way, what shape or form. Certainly not in this transfer window. But if you bring all this together, what you what you end up with is a situation in which there are only a handful of clubs who can afford these players. And Messi and Ronaldo are extreme examples, but because they are at this this absolute top level. But increasingly, the amount of money that it takes to pay superstar players is beyond the reach of the vast majority of clubs. The clubs that can pay those wages do not need to receive transfer fees. They they are not temptable by what appear to be kind of market rate transfer fees. So what you'll have, I think, is an increased number of players looking at Messi, at Ronaldo, at Mbappe and at Kane and thinking, right, what we need now is to sign... Players have always been told, sign long-term contracts. Chinch, you must have been told that by people who didn't represent you. Always um, on long-term contracts. You, I you just signed know. long-term contracts because I realised that eventually I would be found out and I was hoping that would be after three years of four. Uh, that, <laughs> no, I'm not being funny. I, I didn't have the luxury of... the like I've mentioned about the, the deal with Ron when I went to uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Do you want to make, yeah, make it four years? Absolutely. Because at 28, I'm not being funny, you don't have the luxury and you have to, you have to think like that. I had to think like that because I wasn't that great. Good. But not great. But also, you you suffered with injury. Oh, so massively. You, you will have. You must have had thoughts at the at, at the time of what if it, this is the injury that costs me my career. That How actually, when I, I did, money? I did. I know people have these kind of uh, epiphanies and stuff. I remember when I did my cruciate ligaments and was. I did. I woke up after having that surgery, and that terrified me. Thinking, I think I had a year left on my contract, or maybe two. Think, is this this could come to an end? And you're kind of 27, and it's terrifying. So that then does change your thinking, even when you're fit and playing again. That feeling, I, I never lost that feeling. And that must go through a lot of players' heads when they have serious injuries. You do think very differently about who you're playing for, the money that you're earning, and the, the length of contracts that you sign. But that's what agents tell players at every stage. So if you've got a young... It, it's always baffling to me as, an, as a total outsider why a young kid would go to, like, you know, 17-year-old would go to Man City when you, you're clearly not in the play. But the agent will be saying, sign the contract, get the money, and if you get if you do your cruise shirt or your leg falls off or whatever, then you have got mm-hmm. you are made for life. Take the money early on because that's what that's your first responsibilities to yourself and to your family. That's 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 being a good agent. That's what agents are for. Increasingly, I think players might start thinking when they hit a certain level, I do not need a long-term contract. I will sign for two, for probably for three years rather than four or five. A five-year contract is kind of a mark of respect and of kind of status again. But I think players increasingly will be thinking, well, actually, look, Harry Kane signed for six years and that banjacks his career because he had to yeah. stay at Tottenham for all of it. So I'll sign for three years at this club. And then after two, if there's a big club that's interested in me, I will have leverage because they won't want to lose me for free. And if they do allow my contract to run down, then I will have my pick of the litter in terms of suitors. That works much better. So I think that might be, that we might be entering, it's become clear to me this summer that we are entering football's bid oil era without a shadow of a doubt. I think those clubs have left everybody else behind. 
And I think we're also entering an, an era of free agency where players are no longer thinking uh, we need long-term contracts to be secure at, and, the, at the elite level. But if you yes. if you sign Holland now, is there any way that well, is he going to dictate? I only want to sign for three years. I don't want to sign for five or six years. Will he be because he's again he's, he cannot, and that would be more beneficial to him to sign for three years rather than for for five or six. Well, it depends on the movie, doesn't it? Because yeah. if we, we've spoken before about the idea that Erling Haaland or his representatives and him, one would imagine that he plays a part in the decision-making, albeit a small one, uh, that he might move to a, for example, Real Madrid for three mm. years, two years, mm. three years, and then make his big move uh, at the age of 26, 27 to a Premier League club that can maybe afford to pay him more and might give him a longer-term contract at a higher wage. But but that is that is engineering his career in the same way that, yeah. Rory, apologies, the NFL players will try and enter free agency at a certain point in their careers where they can maximise their earnings in the next contract. But you do still get long contracts, both both sides of the pond. So you've got Patrick Mahomes has signed a 10-year contract with Kansas City Chiefs. It's, it's, it's a kind of commitment to it that it's hugely complicated and that it probably got loads of break points and it's all weighted in certain ways to help the team meet the salary cap and things like that. But Jack Greenlish has signed a six-year contract with Manchester City. Now he is, what, 25? So he's going to be in a position where at the age of 29 or 28, like Harry Kane is, after three years of a six-year contract... Is he going to be thinking, well, I wish I hadn't signed that six-year contract with Manchester City because I want to move to a, another club? Probably not, because his, his situation is more favourable than a younger player going to a club that isn't Manchester City, that might see themselves entering free agency or the football version of it at some point in the nearer future. So there, there are grades of it. Um, like, for example, like Chinch, you just said, there's also a grade between good and great. So if you're a great player, you might be able to have the agency to be able to decide yeah. at some point in the future whether you want to enter free agency or make a move which will be lucrative to you. But if you are a good player, you might not want to take that risk. You might prefer the idea of having a long term contract. So this is, again, the very essence of what we're trying to talk about, about whether you are able to shape your own destiny based on your own value. And that value could be financial. But of course, it could also be a value as an asset to a club. Mm-hmm. Stephen, you had a you had a hand up. No, you you finished your point so brilliantly, Hugh, that I I don't feel the need to interject anymore. Yeah, you, you have actually rounded it off quite nicely there, Hugh. To I know, be fair, it's quite annoying. I, I I like cutting you off mid flow, mm. but it's it's better when really, he didn't didn't manage to get in in time. It's better when he says something really flawed and we can pick it apart. Well, d- d- Steve, have another chug of your lager, and I'm sure you'll come up with something soon enough. It's empty. I'm desperate for another. <laughs> well, in that case, this already. <laughs> let's let's move on. Oh my goodness me! That was the most that was the most delightful conclusion. Beautifully efficient, <laughs> tied up like a nice little bow. Uh, it's time for never mind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story! This is usually when Andy tells the tale from his playing or broadcasting days with all adult behaviour and libel where the details removed. First of all, he's decided to turn off his light, which is <laughs> is it a ghost story? <laughs> which is a ghost story? He literally switched the lights off on this edition of set piece. <laughs> he's, he's tried. He's tried to give me a slightly more than sub liminal message that he doesn't have a soccer story for us today because his season is only two weeks old so he's yeah. yet to pick up anything memorable so it's like in a it, nightclub where they flick the lights uh, for okay. last orders oh, i did, I did give you the story doing. about the west brom stewards didn't i oh no no we're not using that are we so forget that scrub that well yeah so I'll, I'll i'll include that and i'll beep out the previous one so people can just guess just don't um, put that in put the story about being you can't congregate here put put that in that's okay a, there's another long beep that i'll have to put in this edit is getting later and later it's going <laughs> to be at the same time we release it at 6 a.m uk time on a wednesday morning um this comes from john wood who is the buffalo from huntington beach california and he sent it in some while ago but he says this dear gang of four the non-leads post-punk band version Months ago, I suggested for an occasional Ask Andy segment. Remember, Chinch, when we used to do an Ask Andy? We actually called it Ask Chinch section, which was way at the beginning when you ran out of soccer stories after about three weeks. Yeah, and then had a, and then had a surge of incredible stories. Well, this is towards the end of that surge. Oh, okay. Um, so John continues, where we mere mortals can ask Mr. Andrew George Hinchcliffe questions and give him a break on storytelling, but still get the brilliance and wisdoms of his words. <laughs> And as Sir Hinchcliffe, yes, he is royalty to we listeners, pointed out last week, who knows when last week was, he's given us a hundred stories, week in, week out, and maybe he can get a week off here and there. So to recharge his batteries, here we go. Let's say we are in an alternate universe. 
and it is somewhere between 1996 and 1998, let's say pre-Cruciate. Andy Hinchcliffe is at the top of his game, injury-free, and England's first choice at left-back, whilst also starring for either Manchester United or Arsenal or AC Milan or any of the other clubs he said that he was interested in joining. Mm. And winning Premier League championships and domestic cups here, there, and indeed everywhere. Andy Hinchcliffe, in this alternative universe, where you are not only a world-class superstar, but the Premier League's highest paid player and England's best left-back, but you can have only one of these career-defining milestones. Which would you choose? Mm -hmm. A. Lead England to win the 1998 World Cup. Mm. B. Win multiple UEFA Champions Leagues. Multiple? Multiple? Multiple. (laughs) Multiple. Multiple. That's both multi and full. Uh, And C or C win all three domestic cups in the same year. Uh, That is from John Wood, Huntington Beach, California. It is an Ask Chinch in the version of an alternate timeline where you might win multiple UEFA Champions League. So can I just obviously clear up? I'd be captain of all these teams. (laughs) Without doubt, you are the best best player in the Premier League. Hang on a minute. This is some hypothetical universe. If a left-back is the highest-paid player in the Premier League... I find that hard to, but this is this is a crazy world we're in, isn't it? Absolutely crazy. This is tricky because I'm not that passionate about my country. I I love the town that I live in, and I love my county. Um, but so could I? Could I lead? Like could I lead? Dancer. Could I lead Stockport County to multiple Champions League victories as captain? Edgeley Park would be a 50,000-seater stadium. Named the Hinchcliffe, the Hinchcliffe <laughs> Arena. It ha- would have to be Chinchville, something along those lines. So I'm extending it out a little bit, but I, I am tempted. You see, the-, the average player in me is going for the-, you know, the the domestic cups, win all the domestic stuff, but that's kind of, you know, Graham Lasso would probably want that. I want more. Um, <laughs> to be uh, in- winning the World Cup... Ah, uh, sound in theory you should probably pick that, but I I am probably going to go for the multiple Champions Leagues. How many are we talking? How many is multiple? Well, more than more than more than a group. Two, two. How many did how many did Maldini win? Three, four, three maybe. No, two. Or so three. I'd have to win more than Paolo Maldini. More than a couple, but not several. Not several. Um, so if Mal- I, if we were to say I were to to really blow everyone else out of the water, if I won six Champions Leagues, <laughs> what? No, hang on a minute. This is this is a great universe. Uh, with Stockport County, I would probably I would probably go for that. But it wouldn't be all about me and the personal glory. It would be about taking Stockport to the pinnacle of European football because I'm just I'm a man of the people. I'm a man of my town, and I I love Cheshire. Ninety-eight percent all about you. Two percent right at the very end there. Yes. Trying to make it sound like it's about somebody else. Keep your correspondence coming to Setpiece Menu. Can I just say as well? Hold on a minute. And part of my vast wages, I would I would support Stockport like Adebayor did. So my how much would I be paid? A million quid a week. Highest paid player. In just the late hypothetically, 90s, give me a number. Give me a number. Late, in the late nineties, the highest paid player in England would have been on about forty grand a week. So I'd be on a hundred. So I'd yeah, I'd have to probably support the local council and charities. So yeah, that's what I'd do. I'd use a portion of that. So I'd be a. I'd probably get man of the year as well, not just footballer of the year. Hang on, so I'd be this, a good egg as well as a great player. In this hypothetical hypothetical universe change. Uh, where you've won multiple Champions League. <laughs> multiple, yeah. Multiple. It's very hard um, to win multiples. It really is. Very, it is. very, yeah. very yeah. Maldini couldn't do that. He didn't win a multiple. He just won multiples, but not multiples. Um, would you have attended the infamous 1997 Cool Britannia bash at number 10 with Tony Blair and Noel Gallagher? Um, yes, but I would have kicked him in the nuts. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> All of them. No, no, Noel. Uh, was Liam there? No, I can imagine. I can just sort of imagine you at the age of like twenty-eight, yeah, having a slightly inappropriate, flirty conversation with Cherie Blair, with my floppy hair, my floppy bleached blonde hair, talking to her about your golden boots, which and my multiple Champions multiple League win. She'd just be, she would be a quivering wreck. What a great, what a great! This is a fantastic <laughs> life I have. Why couldn't I have had that? Like, oh, I, wait a minute. Yeah, I was at football. Damn, damn you! No right foot. 
14 beeps from Chinch today. Um, I'll try it again. Keep your correspondence coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. If you have any questions for Chinch, it's our Ask Chinch uh, returning feature, then please do send to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. And of course, soccer stories, any from your own experience, uh, to that email address. Also, buy the merch, including one possible option, which is Kronos Golden Boots as endorsed by all <laughs> left backs with seven caps uh, yeah. so you can get a t-shirt with that on at tpublic.com just search for spm or Seppi's menu and don't forget to enter the spm plpl you have a week extra friday 11th of september is your deadline tinyurl.com forward slash Seppi's menu a very brief parish notices at the end of the show please subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule thank you Stephen, rory and andy and to all for listening we'll be back with another Seppi's menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed will that be quicker then Stephen is able to get down to the fridge and open another can of lager. Can I? Can I just ask? Did did my choice make sense? Would you guys have gone for the a similar thing, or would you have gone for the World Cup glory? I've gone for the multiples. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. go. Would you have multiple World Cups? How about that as a? No, no, it wasn't multiple. It was just the nineteen ninety eight World Cup. That's it, a one off. I'm I'm just wondering, Chinch, how much the the wider Stockport community would have been in favour of you. When once you'd expanded Edgeley Park to a 50,000 all-seater stadium, they'd had to completely relocate the town's railway station to accommodate it. Yeah, but I'd have, again, I'd have paid for that and it would be the chinch stop. So again, I don't worry about that, Steve. The, chinch the infrastructure would be there around the massive stadium that would dwarf all the houses around it. I'd and knock them all the down. In- I'd knock them all down, build luxury places for these people and move them in. As somebody who's previously edited this podcast, Chinch, I really wish you would stop. <laughs> have, we end, have we somehow managed to end this podcast with Chinch advocating for slum clearances? Um, started off with Dickens, end with Dickens. <laughs>